1: And welcome to another edition of the standard room only podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick. I'm cover the Washington commanders for the athletic Sunday evening here in the DMV. And we are finally reached the first uh, preseason game week. Washington will be in Cleveland on Friday. We'll get you ready for that as the players and coaches prep for that. But really, of course, they're prepping for the regular season. And speaking of the regular season, what's the forecast from the commanders from one of the foremost analytics analytics analysts out there? Well, you don't have to wonder because we spoke with Aaron Schatz, of course, the founder of Football Outsiders and the famous DVOA statistic. He's now doing his own thing. He put out his almanac on FTN. Um, We'll have all the information of where you can Pick that up here in the podcast. But uh, but spoke to Aaron about you know everything you would want. How do you how do you assess a guy like Sam Howe with so limited information? What about same thing with Eric enemy How does he how does Aaron think this offense will perform with an Andy Reid disciple? The defense, top ten unit last year in in a lot of categories, first and third down conversion opponent uh conversion percentage. Does Aaron see a step up or any concern about uh, some regression? A fun conversation, and we'll get everybody a bit smarter uh, when we get Aaron here on the podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Hit that subscribe button right now. Also, uh, I've got a bunch going on the athletic. There'll be an NFC East roundtable Monday, and then we'll have more this week gearing up for. Friday's game and I do want to talk today I'll I'll um, I'll talk a little bit about injuries and a little bit about four four or so players that I'm intrigued to see in Friday's game now the commanders were back out of practice on Sunday a much cleaner practice than the chippy one we saw Friday I did write about that on the athletic if you've missed it you can check it out there um Look, that's gonna happen. You're gonna get in some intense practices when you have pads on for the third day. They had practiced five that was the fifth practice in a row. It's hot. All these things. Uh Ron Rivera was pleased. He was you know, he doesn't want his players to get away, uh, you know, to, to lose their mind and lose focus, but he was pleased to see that level of intensity. And I think to some degree, he didn't say this. I think he liked to see the offense push back a bit. And I think that goes for a few reasons. One, look, the defense has gotten the better of the offense for the most part in these practices, particularly up front. Uh, not to, not that's not too surprising, you know, to anyone, especially with the talent Washington has on the line. But then you have Chase Young, Montez Sweat, in particular, with a lot of trash talking. It's way louder on the defensive side of the field, uh, on the defensive sideline, than the offensive side. We typically are standing by the offense, so it feels almost like the defense is sort of yelling at us and taunting us. I mean, they're not, obviously. And I think this was the way for the offense to sort of uh, vent some frustration and push back a little bit. Of course, they're all teammates, and that needs to be established, and it doesn't seem like... There's any there will be any rifts long term. This is part of the deal that happens. Nonetheless, um, that that was what was interesting about Friday. I didn't. There was none of that today on ma, on a Sunday. Cleaner practice. I don't necessarily know that it was an overly dynamic one, but nonetheless, um, one step closer to getting to face. Cleveland now a couple things here to note first off the injuries they still are knock on wood relatively injury free uh certainly compared to a year ago when you had a bunch of guys coming off of significant surgeries and others getting banked up in practice Armani Rogers losing him back in May is the biggest loss so far but there are starting to get some minor injuries are popping up and the team is doing their best to limit them So when a guy like Logan Thomas has a calf strain, they have him sit out Friday and Sunday's practice. When first round pick Emmanuel Forbes suffers a groin issue or groin injury in Friday's practice, he sits out the remainder of that and only does individual drills today. Um, Curtis Samuel felt some tightness today. They didn't specify where was the tightness, but both he and Ron Rivera said, Hey, We're just going to take it easy. We don't want to force anything. We don't want to make anything worse. And that's been their approach. And like, that's kind of the deal right now. Um, So we'll see how this progresses this week. It won't stun me in, say, the case of Forbes, if he remains in this sort of limited capacity um, for some or all of the remainder of the week. Logan Thomas, as we know, had that knee surgery in 2021, was very rusty this past year, has looked better uh, so far in camp, I know Logan Paulson has been thrilled to, with what Logan Thomas is doing. Uh, Logan Thomas, um, I was in a conversation with him the other day where he talked about how, you know, without the knee brace was restricting his stride. You know, he couldn't go full bore with his, you know, just trying to run down the field. It was constantly one leg. He was constantly feeling like he was, um, you know, pulling up a little bit. Brace is off. And he feels much freer to to run, to to get his route running, make moves, etc. That you know, all that said, you don't want to have the 32 year old uh, turn a minor issue into something more full blown. So we'll see who who practices the rest of the week. Not to mention who's playing Friday. We did ask Rivera for what it's worth about. Who might play Friday, or Friday, but not not in a direct way. It's too early in the week. But in terms of like, you know, how much, you know, will this week of practice affect what they do Friday? He said probably not. But what do you do with the offense when like, you know, Sam Howell needs the reps. Frankly, Eric Bieniemy needs the reps as a play caller. But are you really gonna keep? Terry McLaurin, Charles Leno, and others out there enough to help Sam Howell. I don't know. The, I mean, the starters, I would think, would probably get one, maybe two series at most. Um, but what do you do with Sam Howell? That's why these practices this week, I think, will be very important re- with regards to um, how much work everybody gets on Friday. Uh, but we'll see how that how that goes over the next few days. And I guess the fans will be out there tomorrow on Monday. So we'll see you there. Oh, no, I take it back. You're back out, I think, on Tuesday. I don't believe the fans are out there tomorrow. Um. All right. And here's some players I wanted to mention, In you know, along the lines of what's been going on in practice that I wanted to mention as far as seeing out on the field on Friday against the Browns. Let me start with one of the draft picks, Braden Daniels from Auburn. Uh, tackle, guard, has played a little bit of both in practices. Look, I was already a little bit dubious of this pick, and the same thing with the Ricky Stromberg pick in the third, in that, you know, third and fourth round picks are guys you can, you know, get something out of as rookies, but both are in positions where they're never going to play, barring injuries. And I grant you, injuries on the offensive line are a thing, but, you know, Nick Gates at center. And whether it's guard or tackle, Daniels has a bunch of players ahead of him. But at least Stromberg, I think, has looked the part out there. My bigger concern is with Daniels. Uh, you know, when we're watching on the sideline, we're at field level. It's the, the line play is a little bit harder to see, especially when the players are on the far side from where we are. And Daniels has typically been lining up further away from us. So it's been fun to watch these, some of these one-on-one drills on the offensive line or some two-on-twos, three, things like that, to get to get a better direct look at these players. And Daniels, to me, has looked very rough in some of these spots, uh, to the point that if he wasn't a fourth-round pick, he was just somebody else who was in the mix, I don't wouldn't feel very good about him making the team as it stands right now. Now, he is a fourth-round pick, so therefore... It isn't just about this year. It's about the long term. They've already made the investment, and therefore you logically think he, they should find a way to keep him. I, I will be curious, though, to see how that happens because when you look at the line, if we right now if you have Charles Leno, Chris Paul, who's been playing more left guard the last few practices with Sadiq Charles a little bit banged up, Nick Gates, Sam Cosme, Andrew Wiley. Then you've got Cornelius Lucas as the third tackle. You've got Ricky Stromberg, as the backup center. But what happens from there? If we, if we, if we say Sadiq Charles makes the team and Daniels, that's nine. I'm not even so much concerned that like, what does this mean for Tyler Larson, Trent Scott, or or the undrafted free agent, Mason Brooks, who had some interesting moments um, so far in camp, but is Daniels. I mean, if you're only going to keep nine, I don't know. Do you feel good about Daniels being one of your backups? I really would imagine he's going to be inactive every week. Uh, let's just. I, I talked to Ron Rivera the other day. He really likes what Daniels is doing it's from an athletic perspective. When he is able to get himself square, he can be a, a, a real uh, presence there. But he leans a bit too much. Uh, when, when he, uh, when a defender comes in, is able to sort of get him off balance. And that's where he's been getting into trouble letting guys get past him. So I am a bit concerned for Braden Daniels. And like I said, if he wasn't a fourth round pick, I would not be feeling, I would not feel comfortable if I were him about making the team, but let's see what happens. Let's get to the game action that could change everything. Going up against the group that they have here obviously is not easy, even if he is typically going up against the second and third teamers rather than Case Young, John Allen, and others. So that's one that's one player that I definitely want to keep an eye on for sure. Um, I would have maybe said Chris Paul, but again, I don't know how much the starters will play or, or or how much Paul will play, but he's obviously you know a huge one because somebody's got to solidify that left guard spot, and at the moment. I kind of feel like he's got the inside edge over Charles, but we'll see on that as well. Uh, Another one on offense, wide receiver Mitchell Tinsley spent last year at Penn state. He was the highest rated undrafted free agent for Washington on our draft analyst, Dane Brugler's board, uh, his top 300 board. And, you know, receiver, they're pretty, we think we know the top four, but the next two spots are open. Uh, Tinsley, look, and look, there's a, there's a lot of fun candidates. You got Tinsley, you got Casimir Allen, who's in the punt return game as is Tinsley a little bit, but he's, he's more of a long shot. I think at that spot, um, you've got Bryson Tremaine from Stanford and Jalen sample who have, who've got, who are the guys with size. Um, there are a lot of fun names there. That's not even counting Byron Pringle and Marcus Kemp, two of Eric Bieniemy guys from Kansas city. Uh, Day, uh Tinsley though has been playing a lot with the second team I don't get too worked up over first team second team third team unless it's like some obvious scenario but Tinsley's been pretty consistent with the second group today I asked Jake Fromm about him and, and from the third quarterback who will probably play the most against the Browns said that Tinsley when they're in when he sees man coverage he's going to Tinsley he feels comfortable with him he's been making a lot of excellent catches has looked pretty steady as a pass catcher so i am intrigued to see where tinsley is at you know look we're going to overvalue all the guys who we see every day uh so i don't want to say hey if they cut tinsley somebody will automatically jump on him but i again he was a borderline draft pick i am you know as other teams get to get a chance to look at him in these games i, I will be curious what they think about him and i, I um I don't know. I'm intrigued. I think those fifth and sixth receiver spots remain very wide open, and and Tinsley, I think, is firmly in that discussion. Let's see how he does when the games turn real. Defense, in the secondary, Quan Martin and Percy Butler are on this roster, but I want to see them play. They they Butler has had a really good offseason, I felt. He's been a playmaker with some turnovers, He's been a lively body. He's excited to hit somebody else on Friday besides his own teammates. And under normal circumstances, I would say he looks like he may be heading towards that Derek Forrest projection of a quiet rookie year, bit of a breakout as a sophomore year. But then you've got Quan Martin, who it's been a little bit of a quiet camp so far, but I think that's a bit by design almost. They are really kind of taking their time for him to learn the, all the various positions he may need to know in the back in in the secondary, whether it's playing some center field, playing some slot corner, or everywhere else in between, I, I think they're trying to give him a, a broad feel for all that rather than say you're the nickel back, get in there. That said, he hasn't been playing a ton of nickel. I think he's been playing a bit more closer to the line of scrimmage this past few practices. But when you've got Kendall Fuller, Benjamin St. Just and Forbes in some way, shape or form will be out there. Almost every play cam curl, Derek Forrest at safeties will be out there every play. Uh, when they go three safeties, is it going to be Butler or is it going to be Martin? I, I think that's going to be really an interesting and a fun watch. Again, I think they're both. I, I, I really like what they have there in, at safety. We don't, in fact, we don't really talk about it. If, if Butler and Martin, really continue to you know, look the part when the games uh, start happening, you know, is safety the deepest spot on this team? I, I'm not ready to go there yet, but you factor in those four plus Jeremy Reeves, that's a pretty good group. And we don't really think about safety in that way because look, let's be let's be real. It's been a miserable position here for, for a long, long time. So I'm curious to see those guys get out there and how much they play, you know, along with any of, any of the other starters the high rotation guys We'll see, but I do want to see them play. Lastly, on the on the defensive line, Rivera today said that that's the position he's most excited to see get out there and get after the quarterback other than their own quarterbacks. For me, K.J. Henry, the fifth-round pick, has been, I don't want to say a non-factor. That may be a bit unfair, but I haven't seen too many splash plays out of him. You know, he's an edge rusher, but he's, he's small, probably – you know, that there's a reason why he dropped a bit despite being uh, productive in college uh, to the fifth round. And let's see what he happens when he gets out there, you know, and, and is able to really let it loose. You know, as we know, defensive linemen can only do so much in practice with pass rushing, can't take down the quarterback. So let's see what happens when he gets out there. Meanwhile, the other young edge rusher they drafted, Andre Jones, he has, to me, flash a little bit more. He does, to me, have some excitable energy uh, out there. Maybe the question with him will be consistency, but, you know, he he definitely stands out at times. And, you know, with these two kids, that combined with the, all the returnees, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, James Smith-Williams, F.A. Obata, Casey Twohill, realistically, you think they're keeping six defensive ends? Well, I just named you five vets plus the two kids, plus inside You've got Deron Payne and John Allen, Fidarian Mathis, who I would also very much add to the list of guys I want to see perform. He's not been, he's had some tough spots, I've thought, here uh, with, in practice, but his strength is the run game, and there's not much run game happening, so I want to see him get out there where he's at. And you have John Ridgway, who is another run stuffer rather than a pass rusher. Is there a world where Washington says, hey, we need to keep a little, we want another interior pass rusher, a guy like Benning Pitote, who I thought had some good moments. Maybe that's F.A. Obata inside. But there's a lot of competition, I think, on the defensive line in total uh, if they're going to keep 10 players. If you keep more, well, then maybe maybe they decide, hey, we have too many guys. We would rather go, I'm sort of making this up. Let's start off with four linebackers on the initial 53, or, um, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe Jake, Fr- well, I wouldn't say Jake from. I kind of think Jake Fromm is going to make it, but you know what I mean, like, maybe they start off a little bit lighter elsewhere to keep these guys, but if not, there could be an interesting player or two that gets um, gets cut, and this is where that starts to take shape with the game on Friday. All right, uh, let's take shape of this podcast by getting into my conversation with Aaron Schatz. Uh, Aaron again is one of the go-to analytics voices out there in the NFL community. Excited to talk to him about Sam Howell, Chase Young, uh, Eric Bieniemy. Got even to some Jack Del Rio. Uh, a really, a really smart conversation. Aaron's carrying the smart. I'm just there to help facilitate. Um, but let's get to that right now here on the Standard Groom Only podcast. All right, it is time to get a little bit smarter when it comes to talking about the NFL and the Washington Commanders. And obviously, there's nobody better to do that than our guest here today, Aaron Schatz, at A -A Schatz, S-C-H-A-T-Z, NFL. On Twitter, uh, you know him as DVOA. You reference it all the time, even if you don't know what it means, but he is that guy. Aaron, uh, big big wild year for you, how uh, we just were talking a little bit before we started you know, how have, have, people want to know how's it going? It's going
0: weird. For, for people who have not followed my situation, uh, I left Football Outsiders, which is the site that I founded myself in 2003 uh, due to some problems with the ownership, the current ownership that bought from the people that I originally sold to five years ago. And I'm in the middle of some legal wrangling with them. And uh, we moved our preseason book to FTN Fantasy and produced the FTN Football Almanac. It's basically the same book that used to be Football Outsiders Almanac by the same people, but at a new home, ftnfantasy.com. And we did it in a very condensed uh, schedule because I couldn't really work on it until July. So we got it all done very quickly. Oh, my God. Everybody else was working on it. And then I started editing and we got it all done very quickly. And, and here we are, we've come out. A, the book is now available, ftnfantasy.com.
1: All right. Well, look, it's, like I guess it's a must uh, have when you're getting uh, ready for the season and uh, to, to reference during as well. Um, let's, uh, let's just jump in here to, uh, we'll, we'll get to some other broad NFL thoughts while we have Aaron here, but of course we're going to talk about the commanders, Um Offense or defense? I'll let you choose. Where do you where would you like to start with this team? What side of the ball is more interesting for you? Well,
0: defense is the better side, so let's start with the good news rather than the bad news.
1: <clears throat> All right, fair, fair fair enough. Um, I I don't have the DVOA numbers in front of me, but I know broadly the defense last year was ranked. You know, they got off to a slow start, picked it up significantly over the course of the year, and we're roughly a top ten defense overall. Like we're I think tops in the league and third down conversions, and I have a specific question for you um about that by the way is that a cat yes cats are welcome my mine is running around here so uh all all good uh what he really
0: what, likes my office he's new and he really likes the office
1: what's the cat's name uh aldo, aldo. I, I was wondering if you had like a football name or some type of uh you know maybe some sort of stats name uh you know DBO. No, no. <laughs> no 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 dvoa um so okay so the defense like i said was Roughly a top 10 unit, depending on which numbers you want to to look at. And look, the defensive line is tons of talent. They didn't even have Chase Young last year. Secondary, they added a couple of nice defensive backs, things like that. I didn't always know if I felt that, that I was watching a quote-unquote top 10 defense in the sense of, like, true domination. But I also watched them It's the time I watched every game, and I was like, I hey, mean, maybe I'm over, overrating or underrating at times. What, what do you, when you ultimately look back at the number, what did you see with this defense um, overall? Yeah,
0: they were a top 10 defense. And I think I know why they didn't uh, wow you. They didn't make a lot of splash plays, in particular turnover. So what's right. interesting about Washington, and everything I'm about to say also goes for the New York Jets, so it's interesting about them too, is that they had a very good defense without takeaways. Normally your top defenses are also your defenses that get the most takeaways, but the commanders and the Jets had very few takeaways last year. So that would seem to indicate that where normally you would expect them to sort of fall back to the pack on defense, that instead those defenses are going to be as good, if not better this year, because they're likely to regress towards the mean and thus have more takeaways this year. And also then more splash plays, more memorable plays that sort of stick out in your mind.
1: Right. Yeah, that your point about turnovers does make a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, by the numbers alone, the team clearly recognized that as well. That's why they went and drafted Emmanuel Forbes, who literally set the NCAA record for most uh, interceptions returned for touchdowns and all that. So clearly, that's something they're, they, they feel to identify. Plus, like Cam Curl, who's been a really good safety as a former seventh round pick, doesn't have actually a lot of. Interceptions or force fumbles or things like that, even though it feels like he's one of those guys. And I know he talked about the other day at practice that that's what he's kind of focused on is generating more turnovers. Um, is there like you said that that he sort of can revert to the to the mean, which would be good news for them? But like, how, how do you um when you look at I guess at their at their team overall or Jack Del Rio or things like that? Is there anything that says like beyond just thinking that they could do that, but based on the 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 norm. Is there anything kind of you look at and think, yeah, this this isn't that players that should be able to get this done, or the system allow you know, should allow them to be aggressive like that? I
0: and mean, part of it is there's just a lot of randomness and takeaways. Like you know, the average team recovers X percentage of the fumbles. The average it's like 55 percent on offense, 45 percent on defense, and the average team turns. I don't remember exactly what it is, like one in five passes defense gets turned into an interception. And so these things do tend to regress pretty heavily from year to year. I mean, yes, there are certain players who have better ball skills than other players, but there's a lot of randomness involved. You put the same players out there for Washington that you had last year, and they are almost guaranteed to have more takeaways than they did last year now and yes i mean you know you added two cornerbacks specifically who are known for ball skills right because uh the second guy had three picks last year jartavius martin Uh and then the first guy like you said led the you know set of record pick sixes so that's really positive i mean pick sixes are not really a skill pick sixes are based on sort of where you happen to be standing when the interception comes to you but they're just they're going to have more takeaways this year, and the personnel is part of that. But with the same personnel, it would have just been regression.
1: the The other key component here is Chase Young. In that he 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 doesn't need he may be their fourth best defensive lineman, no matter what happens. Considering two defensive tackles that went to the Pro Bowl, Montez Sweat's been a pretty good consistent player who's got upside uh, for for more sacks as well. But even a ordinary Chase young relative to his hype of being the number two pick would be more production than they would have than they got last year out of that spot from guys like James Smith Williams and Casey hill who were good but just not you know that Dynamic you obviously are not watching Chase young at practice that's my pleasure or job uh but, but based on just what he can do what he was what he was capable of pre-injury what even his impact could be on this group that already has a really good uh front uh front line
0: Oh, yeah, he adds. And you know, it's like uh, with defensive line, with the pass rush, each difficult pass rusher that you add makes it harder on the offensive line because you can only double-team so many guys. You know, let's say you you leave in six blockers and you double-team Payne and you double-team Allen, and now the edge rushers are both coming in against one guy, and you have one less receiver because you've already left in six to block, right? Like, right. the the better, the, the, the more defensive linemen that play well – you know, the harder it is for the offensive line to block them all, and the more you can just rush four. And then if you rush just four, you can cover with seven. And that means you're covering better than if you're blitzing. So yeah, I mean, Chase Young being Chase Young would be very important for this team to have a better defense than people are expecting from it.
1: Um, I probably should have asked you right off of the bat, but I guess what what are your projections for them? I guess whether in terms of like overall defense or any stats in in particular or any areas of the defense do you see improvement or or regression we have them as a top five
0: defense we have them as a top five defense we really when you look at defenses that are as good as what they were last year without the takeaways it just really suggests that they're going to be better this year than they were last year even though they were already really good last year and adding uh one thing that we found with our projection systems is that adding top defensive talent at the top of the draft is more predictable than a top offensive talent, right? Like there isn't a variable in our offensive projection for adding rookies, but there is in our defensive projection because it, it sort of more consistently improves your defense to have those high picks. And they did, they took a guy in the first round and they took a guy in the second round and, and chase young is coming back. And there's just lots of positive ideas here for the defense.
1: Um, well, that's, I mean, that's good to hear that you think that they are top five unit. I will say, watching practice. Um, again, it's with all the caveats, I always have to say, it, you know, th- th- there's no game planning and yada, 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 no n- very limited pads. But the defensive line is looking the part, they're not resting on their laurels from last year, they're not taking it easy. They're largely doing what you would expect of them, and you know, and obviously that defensive tackle tandem with Allen and Payne. You know, have really you know, especially last year with Payne having a breakout year, really become the focal point of that defense. Um, you know, I, I guess the one thing I always wonder is that sounds like you think this could be the case if they're a top five defense. But it's one thing to be a really good defense; it's another thing to in a game. You recognize that the other team is going to have to completely change their game plan because of what you have over here. Do you think that, based on what you're kind of seeing that, and with the with that talent up front? That they could be one of those kinds of defenses. I mean,
0: it's possible, but like, so one of the things we talk about a lot in analytics is offense is easier to predict than defense. So the range of offenses that we predict, the quality of the range of offenses is much wider than the quality of the range of defenses. So we really don't predict any defense to be one of those defenses. You know, one of those historic, like changing the way you play offense type defenses, But it's more likely that Washington is going to be that defense or Dallas or Philadelphia than that Chicago is going to be that defense. Right? You know, if you're talking about defenses that look like they're going to be really bad. So, um, you know, I wouldn't count on them being that good, but if every team plays to the average of our projections, they'll be the number five defense in the league. And that's really nice unfortunately it's only part of the game
1: it is it is um one more thought for defense and we can switch over so you talk about regression earlier you know not regression but you know the the turnover should be better uh just based on even if you had the same group their third down uh defense percentage has been very weird over the last few years they were horrendous in 2021 and last year they led the league yeah so, they were
0: third in our ratings they were third on third okay. downs but same same idea right like crazy weird inconsistency
1: yeah yeah so based on you know does that should we there be I guess in general independent of Washington how you, you sounds like you're saying third defense in so many ways it's hard to predict but third down specifically how often does that carry over year to year team being top five top ten or is that Another one word.
0: In the long, I know how important third down and red zone are, but in the long term, you can expect to be as good on third downs and as good in the red zone as you are overall. I'm not going to say that they regress to the mean because if you're a really good defense overall, they regress to being really good because you're really good overall. And if you're a really bad defense overall, they don't regress towards the mean, they regress to being bad. So I think that that last year's third down performance for Washington seems more real, like more real for these, for this group of players than what happened the year before, because it's more in line with how good their defense was overall. It was better than their defense was overall, and it is a reason to think their defense might decline a little bit. You know, maybe it cancels out that business with the takeaways, right. and so they're like the eighth or ninth best defense but I don't think they're going back to being as bad on third downs as they were in 2021. That's not happening.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I think, you know, William Jackson, not to put it on one guy, but he really struggled. (laughs) He really struggled in his year and a year and a half with them. And when, once he came out of the lineup last year, even after, um, even putting in guys who were just, you know, I don't want to say Jags, but just guys who were backups without much expectation. If we're not talking with them starters, they stopped letting up, all these bad uh, you know bad plays uh big plays so just to that end alone maybe maybe helping again they drafted a a, co- a couple cornerbacks or a couple defensive backs um there as well um I was just thinking about this since we're talking about some regression and things Duron Payne has a massive year last year as a pass rusher 11 and a half sacks he had uh basically 15 before that in his previous four years He's historically been viewed as a run stuffer, not a pass rusher. But last year that changed coincidentally, perhaps it was a contract year and he definitely got paid um, for him specifically or just sort of that type of profile of a player in general. How do you kind of assess that idea of breakout year, but not sustainable versus a guy ascending?
0: You look at like a ratio of sacks to total pressures. And I will say that if you look at the ratio of sacks to total pressures, both Payne and Allen had more sacks last year than you might expect. So you probably expect them to come back to the pack a little bit. But Montez Sweat maybe had fewer sacks than you would expect, given how much pressure he brought. So you'd expect him to have more than eight. Right.
1: Yeah, Montez Sweat always feels like he should be getting more. And then you're in the end, like like, I was talking to somebody the other day, he's like one, he's always like a nanosecond behind the quarterback right before he throws from getting it. And then obviously the other guys on the team are getting some as well. Um, Yeah. So that's going to be interesting to see the distribution again, with chase young back, if he can do look, look even half the part of what people thought, then they're going to have four guys that can are are all going to be chasing um, the quarterback. Speaking of the quarterback, let's go to the offense. I'll brace myself for your, for your views here. Um, I guess let's just start with that overall offense for Washington. How do you assess them? What do what do uh, what what do your numbers uh, suggest? I mean, it suggests it's
0: going to be bad. It, it's it's really simple. It comes down to this, which is your expectations for a fifth round pick in his second year have to be incredibly low. And people can bring up all kinds of reasons why they think Sam Howell is better than that. But your expectations when you're doing the kind of statistical projections that we do have to be that Sam Howell will be, if not the worst quarterback in the league, pretty close to it. And Brissette is interesting because last year sticks out like such a sore thumb in his career. He was really good last year. Really, really good. And historically, he's never been that good. So I can't imagine that if Brissette starts, that he'll be as good as he was last year. But I got to think he would be better than Howell. But it kind of makes sense for the team to give Howell some run first, because if I'm, you know, if I'm wrong, if he's one of the rare lower round picks who turns into a star, then you've got a really valuable commodity on your hands for the next couple of years. You've got a really cheap starting quarterback. So you got to give him, I understand giving him a shot, but the offense projects to be as bad, if not worse, than as good as the defense projects to be
1: right i think what the how i wrote something about this a a couple months ago i want to say it was 2010 since 2010 he is basically the only guy that will be is basically being given the week one start having started only one game as a day three pick um since uh, in in all that time like even guys who you know your Kirk cousins and dak prescott's you know uh,
0: cousins got playing time as rookies right he got one game
1: i was like cousins wasn't a full-blown starter until later and even with with They had Tony Romo. He got hurt. Then Dak Prescott had to become the starter. He wasn't anointed the way Hal more or less um, was. It One game can't possibly be enough data points. Tell you anything. Right. But as I could say, like based on that or college or just anything else, like what does it, anything in there suggest anything for Hal other than just it's a total mystery. And like you said, you just can't expect much.
0: It's one game and it's a total mystery. It, it, uh, he used his legs. I think it's a gives you an idea that he's probably a more of a scrambling quarterback than people might realize. Uh, I was talk- that that may be the one thing that you learned from the one start.
1: I was talking to a fellow reporter today who also is uh, a Buccaneers fan or something, and uh, we we're discussing how these teams are so odd. In that the Commanders, a team that really does need to win this year, just in terms of the Ron Rivera, four years, a new ownership group, things like that. They're going with a fifth round pick over a veteran who doesn't have a huge ceiling, but has, you know, had some success. And like you said, had a good year last year outlier or not. And Tampa Bay has a guy in Kyle Trask who they took in the second round, yet they seemingly they're still trying to go with Baker Mayfield, who has been, you know, completely erratic. I know he has, he's had good years had good, at least one good year or two with Cleveland, yeah. but like he's kind of all over the place. It seems like almost they should be doing the opposite of each other.
0: Reports on Trask are that he's terrible.
1: Well, then there, that's a problem. Then, if that's I the mean, case.
0: that that's the, the problem The problem with the theory of, well, let's give Trask some run and see what we have, is that the scouting reports on him from preseason and from camp have always been so negative. It's just really, really negative. I mean, I, you know, based on draft position, you'd rather have Trask than Howell, but based on what people who see them in practice say, you would rather have Howell than Trask.
1: Yeah. I, mean, I, I will just say, like, when Howell has been on, he's got a big arm. He can make throws down the field. He's got that mobility, like you said. And, you know, for Washington, it's such a weird deal. He could have a pretty good year, make progression to make you think he could be the long-term answer and still be a 6-7 win team, which is where Vegas right now has the line. And that won't be good enough, most likely, for Ron Rivera. But that's why they're in this such a weird spot. The quarterback does not really fit where they are as an organization, but that's kind of where they're they're shooting for the moon and open.
0: Yeah, I mean, where the defense, if he comes out as an average quarterback, their defense will be good enough to make them a winning team. I just don't think he's going to be an average quarterback.
1: <laughs> okay, I got gotcha. you. Um, let me ask you about then about Eric Bieniemy, uh, or or I guess more specifically, how when you're going through your numbers when there's a change, say an offensive coordinator, how do you factor that in to go from Scott Turner to Eric Bieniemy, a guy who doesn't even have a track record even though he was OC and named with KC, it was Andy Reid's calling the plays and all that so how do you in general make that adjustment of different complete different offense coordinators different systems when you're making your projections for the upcoming year
0: all other things being equal teams that are learning new systems with new coordinators tend to take a step back and there's no record that would suggest that we should be treating the enemy any different in fact, for most coaches, there's no record that we should be treating them. It's very rare to have a coach with a sample size large enough. Apologies for whatever helicopters in the background, if you can hear. That. No,
1: I didn't hear. You. You're all good.
0: Um, it's very rare to have a coach with a sample size large enough that you can be like, he's gone to enough new teams and improved them enough that, you know, he means something. Like Wade Phillips is like that. But the right. um, enemy has never been the main guy, right? like he wasn't the main guy in Kansas city. So you can't statistically suggest that he's going to bring improvement um, just because Kansas city was really good because you can't, it's hard to give him credit for that, given that you haven't seen him with any other team.
1: Right. I mean, you know, look, if you want to use things like logic into your discussion points, I'm not sure that's going to go over well with people who just think the enemy is Bill Walsh and they're going to be able to turn this offense around uh overnight but there are there are some people out there who are who 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 see him as being that that next guy and you know we'll we'll see he's he's obviously one of the more fascinating figures in the nfl i mean he's more
0: likely to be that next guy than some other guys that have been hired as offensive coordinators i I, you know i'd rather give eric the a shot than run brian schottenheimer out there again but uh when it comes to a statistical projection system you can't put anything in for him
1: right and some of the other names they were discussing like uh, pat Shermer. Like he seemed to be the other one. Like if they or ken and who's on the currently on the staff, and I was like, do you really want to go back to these kind of retreads? Versus, eh, let's just see what you got here with the enemy. That that aspect certainly makes more sense to me. I, I'm with you, um, on that. Um, the offensive line. I don't know how how you guys look at that. They basically have four new starters, or at least four guys in different you know different spots. Only Charles Leno at left tackle is the same. They added uh, Andrew Wiley from Kansas City to play right tackle. Nick Gates, who played guard with the Giants, is in at center. Left guard is a big mystery as of the moment we're talking right now. Uh, Sam Cosme was a guy now at right guard that some people thought would be better at guard than he would be at tackle. For me, this is the biggest question. I mean, understanding that Howell in and of itself is a question, but he's still a percent, so at least I feel like they could go to him if they had to. The offensive line is a, is a mystery uh, for sure. And I think one that people are a little bit nervous about. So I don't know what you're what what you think on that, but I am curious. I mean, all we have
0: is stats from the past, right? Like I can tell you last year we had them 23rd in adjusted line yards, which is run blocking, and 23rd in adjusted sack rate, and 31st in pressure allowed, with the asterisk that adjusted sack rate and pressure allowed have a lot to do with the quarterbacks as well as not just the offensive line. But I mean, like you said, all new this year, right? So It's it's not like they signed anybody where you're like, oh, that's a great, that's an ad. Boy, woo, that's like uh, Isaac Samalu, right? Like, uh, Wiley's not that guy. Um, You know, he he might be better than what they had last year, but he's not the kind of guy where you were like, oh, man, we got to see where Wiley's going next year. So, um, you know, knowing what we know about their offensive line, I would say it's likely they have a below average offensive line. But you're right. It's a big question mark.
1: So to that end we're just saying that Sam Howell it's it's hard to have high expectations for a person with his profile and an offensive line that is questionable at some level. It feels like to me combined with that defense that the best way for them to win this year maybe it's not the highest ceiling but the best way to win is running the ball, controlling the clock. They were able to do that at times uh over the last 2 years and they've got two good running backs in Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson um Robinson's ultimate yards per carry last year wasn't very impressive but again the line wasn't great and you know in fairness to him he had been shot and missed the first four weeks and all that uh so when you look at those two when when you look at the run game uh what at best you can say uh say or I guess maybe with Robinson specifically how much did you assess what he did last year as a sign of progress and held back a little by the line or a guy who's maybe not necessarily a uh full-blown starter as a running back
0: he seemed like an average he seemed like an average nfl running back uh, held back by his line a little bit but you know i'm an analytics guy we don't think the running backs move the needle very much
1: um right, wait are you so, an analytics guy or an nfl gm
0: if <laughs> both i mean the and the analytics have had an effect on the way nfl gms see the running back position it's just it's not you know robinson doesn't seem special and he doesn't seem special in the other way, right? He doesn't seem like especially terrible. So he he seems like he's a, you know, reason, reasonable, steady running back. And Gibson gives you that c- catching ability. You know, hopefully he moves into more of McKissick's role, and that's good. Um, you know, it's interesting, the run and defense thing, because, you know, analytics has always shown that passing is a more successful for offense than running. And that would suggest that even with a poor quarterback, you might be better off passing. But I think it sort of depends on what kind of running and what kind of passing. For one thing, I think if they were to zone read some, Howell is mobile enough that you could get that effect where defenses have to respect the quarterback and the running back gets more because the defense always has to expect that the running, that the quarterback could keep the ball. And as far as types of passes, you know maybe shorter stuff with a higher completion rate you'll still be able to use the talents of of McLaurin and Dotson because the receivers are good right like I'm not really a Curtis Samuel guy but Dotson and 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 showed a lot of talent in his rookie year and you know everybody knows McLaurin is awesome when you try to do any kind of grading of McLaurin that separates him from his quarterbacks so you know, I wouldn't want to completely get away from the pass because you got to use those guys.
1: Uh, that, to me, is a very interesting aspect of, of of this in that when you look at Kansas City last year, just in terms of total targets, they were top five in running back and tight end targets last year, and they were about 20th in um, wide receiver targets. This was, I think, off of uh, I think true media. I was looking it up the other Here, day.
0: Here's a shock for you. If you look at it as percentage of all targets, okay. not just total, Washington threw more percentage of their passes to running backs than Kansas City did, twenty-three percent to eighteen percent. It's just that Kansas City threw so many more passes that I think they end up having more passes to running backs. But if you look at the rate of passing, Washington actually passed to their running backs more often.
1: Interesting. Okay, that, that's that's a good stat to know. What about I get? What about receiver? Because what I was wondering is when you bring in the with the Kansas city scenario, he's already talked about it being a tight end friendly offense. And that's what you want when you have Travis Kelsey, but when you, when you invest a lot of money in McLaurin, good money in Samuel, a first round pick in Dotson, and you've got Logan Thomas and Cole Turner who are, you know, we'll see, Mm -hmm. but nothing that exciting off on, on pay on the surface. You want the ball to get in the hands of the guys where you spent the money who are really talented. But if your offense mindset is, well, we go into the tight ends and the running backs, then that that that's where I'm going to be curious to see kind of what happens here.
0: Yeah, I I'm I'm with you. Uh, it's the the marriage is interesting, but I, you know, I've talked to coaches in the league, and the good ones say you you need to meld your scheme to the players you have, not try to meld the players you have to the scheme. Like at right. a certain point, you have to be flexible. So if the enemy is as good as we want him to be, he'll be flexible, and he'll understand that McLaurin is the money maker.
1: Well, he, de- he definitely he's definitely uh he's definitely that um before I ask you a couple broad NFL questions I want to ask you this I've been t- I've talked to some uh uh people you know around the league a- as you have about um analytics in the sense of like uh Josh Harris the new owner of the team coming in of course uh you know he's got Daryl Morey with the 76 ers he's he's talked about being more analytics based than even others in, in the NBA and where you've been kind of wondering how much is he going to bring that here. And Ron Rivera is historically not been that guy. They just hired a, a second person for their analytics staff, bumping the number up. Well, from d- doubling the staff, <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, Rivera, when he's talked about analytics in general has sounded like, Hey, I'm listening. Cause you guys want me to, but I don't know how much I'm buying into all this, but simultaneously he has said, and others have said, look, this whole notion about more analytics, we've all been using analytics for years, they say. It's just that now it's getting this more of an emphasis. We just didn't talk about it as much anymore. It doesn't seem like I buy that, but I'm curious from your perspective.
0: It, it's true in some ways. I mean, if you think about it, quality control is essentially analytics, right? Like having a guy watch the last five or six games of your next opponent and write down how often they go to certain, uh, you know, personnel groupings and how often they run certain plays out of certain personnel, that's analytics, Right. So in that way, football has always used analytics. But the using the more intense stuff, especially the stuff that uses the tracking and the chips and the pads, the NFL next gen stats stuff, that's all very new and has spreading into the front offices. And uh, there's definitely been a, a much greater uh, emphasis on on analytics and front offices since Philadelphia won the Super Bowl. And the NFC East is kind of the leading division for this because the Eagles are very analytically sound, the Giants have people, the Cowboys just hired a bunch of people. So the commanders are likely gonna need to catch up, and I think it's good, I think Harris will bring that in. Listen, Rivera, it's very likely that this is kind of a year zero scenario for com- commanders, right, where they, they end up going like seven and 10 or eight and nine, and then next year they just refresh everything. New owner brings in new management, You know, new head coach, new quarterback like everything probably refreshes next year and um unless something really unexpected happens with this season and it's weird to sort of root for that but i mean we talk about it in the chapter the most important thing for washington fans is that the ownership changed if that means they have to wait a year for the grand restart they'll they'll live
1: yeah no matter what happens this year people will be smiling uh come uh december or january but yeah it's uh at some point it will be interesting to see what josh harris what his imprint is going to be on this team um you cover all the teams in the league uh i guess that's something i ask you, is who's a team right now that you are just like i like this team the th- maybe everybody else doesn't or whatever i just like this team is there in the stand out for you?
0: I will say when you look at the biggest difference between our mean wins in our simulation, average wins per team, and uh, the over-unders, uh, Washington is actually one of the biggest. We have them over their, their number. I think 6.5 is what it is at most books is a little low. But two teams that we have even more over their number that I really like to talk about are Dallas and Atlanta for different reasons. Dallas- People overestimate the importance of playoff games and underestimate the importance of regular seasons. And the fact is this has been one of the top teams in the league for two straight regular seasons on both offense and defense. And they're very likely to be very good again on both offense and defense. There's a little bit of an asterisk because you don't know what's going to happen with Mike McCarthy winning the power struggle to, co- to call plays. And, you know, is his offense going to be kind of stale the way it was in the last years with Green Bay? But From a statistical perspective, you have to expect Dallas to be top contender. Atlanta is an average team, but people don't think they're an average team. People think they're a bad team, but there's a lot of reason to believe their defense will really improve this year with all the talent they've brought in, like Jesse Bates and Calais Campbell. And if their offense can be just a little bit below average, they have such an easy schedule that they should put up a winning record. Both Atlanta and New Orleans, like the difference in schedule strength between Atlanta and New Orleans and the other 30 teams is huge. So our projections, this will shock people because the division was won by an 8-9 and team last year. But our projections, if they all came out, you know, which they won't, but if they all came out exactly as we're projecting, would put two NFC South teams in the playoffs.
1: That division is fascinating. Every, every team right now thinks they can make the playoffs regardless in that division. It does almost feel like all of them could be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. There's just, it's
0: a much easier story and the reasoning behind new Orleans and Atlanta makes a lot more sense. New Orleans already is a top defense and Atlanta, there has a lot of reasons to believe they could become, I understand the reasons why Carolina fans believe they could be a top defense too, but Um, statistically, there's more backing for the idea that Atlanta's going to take that jump than the idea that Carolina's going to take that jump.
1: Um, On the Atlanta front, obviously, a a lot of people, no matter what people think of B. John Robinson as a talent, can't stand the idea of drafting a running back as high as Atlanta did, what was it, number eight? Um, But when you look at Desmond Ritter, who's sort of that, you know, Sam Howell-ish, but maybe Sam Howell's the better better guy, um, that you have, you know... Bijan, you got Algier from last year, not to mention Drake London and Kyle Pitts. That giving the weapons around that quarterback can sort of help de-emphasize the quarterback, thus making at least for the next few years, Bijan a pretty good pick. And we'll see about the second contract. I guess. What, what do you kind of view of of that and this sort of this whole notion with the running backs, the, the devaluing of them?
0: I mean, the first thing I'll say is Ritter has more of a track record than Howell does. Yeah, Ritter played reasonable in his whatever five four starts last year. Yeah. Um, the other the other thing, and Arthur Smith has more of a track record than Biennemi does. Very true. But listen, I'm very much along the lines of most analytics people where the running back position is just not worth as much as other positions and you cannot take a running back that high. It's not because Bijan is not great. It's because Chase Brown is also pretty good, right? right, right. The issue here is... They already had two good running backs. They had Tyler Algier. What they got out of Tyler Algier as a fifth-round pick is almost what they want to get out of Bijan Robinson, whereas the difference between a first-round cornerback and a fifth-round cornerback is huge, right? Yeah. Like what the commanders will get out of Emmanuel Forbes compared to what they would get out of a fifth-round corner is much bigger than the difference between Bijan Robinson and a running back who goes in the sixth or seventh round, and so that's why you can't take running backs that high in the draft, not because they're not hardworking and talented, but because there are too many of them that are hardworking and talented.
1: A hundred percent. As as somebody who's paid attention to this team, Washington, my whole life, they went, they won a Super Bowl with Timmy Smith setting a record for the most yards in a game like that's sort of the epitome of this whole argument uh you know you had a really good offensive line some other good weapons and this guy who did nothing more or less afterwards had the best day ever in the history of the super bowl
0: right there's also that there's there's the fact that passing is more important than running and there's the fact that running uh, is more dependent on the offensive line often than it is on the running back himself right and combined with the fact that there's just lots of good running backs, there's just so many things pointing to the idea that you don't want to draft a running back high. It was a terrible mistake by Atlanta, and I am picking them to go to the playoffs anyway.
1: I, I, I hear you. I'm on the flip side, going, going the wrong way, you, you gave us a couple teams that you think are going to be beat expectations. How about the other way? Who are you a bit skeptical of? I know
0: that. Uh, people probably know about Minnesota and how weird last year was that they were the first team to ever win 12 games, let alone 13 while being outscored by their opponents. They were even worse in our numbers. I think they were 26th despite being 13 and four. It was a crazy wacko fluky year. And then they went out and lost talent, right? No more Adam Thielen, no more Z'Darrius Smith, no more Patrick Peterson. I really think Minnesota is going to have a losing record this year. And then staying in that same division, I think people are too optimistic about Justin Fields. It is very rare for a quarterback to pass as badly as Fields has the last couple of years, and suddenly become above average. Mostly because of the number of sacks he takes, and that's his fault as much as it's the offensive line. So, as much as you know, we want to believe Fields matures, and we want to believe you know having DJ more matters. Absolutely. But if if he improves the way quarterbacks normally improve when this stuff happens, he'll go from horrible to below average, which would still make Chicago a below average team because their defense is terrible.
1: I I do feel like Justin Fields is a really good example of thinking highlights equate to winning football. Like his runs are spectacular, but he's a quarterback. It's
0: the opposite of last year's
1: Washington defense. Right. Right, a lot of of splash, but not a lot of steak uh, or whatever. A lot of sizzle, not a lot of steak is maybe the better way to say it. Um, Aaron, I really appreciate the time. Tell everybody again where they can uh, find you and and where they can uh, go ahead and uh, buy the subscription.
0: Yeah, so Aaron Schatz's FTN Football Almanac 2023 is available at ftnfantasy.com. Look for the picture of Patrick Mahomes. That's the cover of the book. It's $34.99. There will be a physical book on Amazon in a few days. We're not exactly sure what we're pricing that at yet, but the PDF is e- easy to download right now. Uh, I don't know exactly where I'm going to be full-time for the coming season. I'm still figuring that out. But FTN has been really supportive for the last two months. I will say that. And we're really proud that we were able to get this book out. It's got all the good stuff you know from our previous, uh, our previous books, our previous preseason predictions and if you're looking for me online it's a shots nfl a s c h a t z nfl and that's on either twitter or threads
1: threads um <laughs> yeah it's okay so if we follow you there when you figure out your home and we want to know dvoa week to week and all that fun stuff you'll tell us uh there absolutely uh awesome all right well we we, we all know we, we need the dvoa in our life uh, and you're the guy that brought it by, by the way, like I know you've been doing this for a long time. Is it blow your mind at all that? Like that you have, you created a stat that everybody loves that, that everybody referenced. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Everybody well, references- the
0: fact that people in the league use this GMs talk about it. Coaches talk about it. Special teams coaches really depend on it. Um, with no dis, I mean, no disrespect to Rich Gosselin, but I've been told that DVoa is the way that special teams coaches grade themselves these days is just fascinating to me and kind of awesome and just a kick and uh i'll i'll, it, I'll never
1: uh it will never stop being cool <laughs> yeah absolutely all right aaron greatly appreciated thanks so much for the time and uh we'll see what sam Hal and eric Bien- and do over here in a, in a little bit thanks again all right all right big thanks to aaron shots for his time thanks to everyone here as always for checking out the podcast uh, hopefully i'll see some of you out at practice this week uh, but uh we'll see what happens uh but that is it for now ben standing signing off until next time see ya